to Success Beneath the Surface, hosted by Deborah Fell, Managing Partner at Chief Outsiders. Deborah provides insights specifically for CEOs from growth-oriented companies. Deborah welcomes her first guest, Gary Stockman, CMO at Chief Outsiders. She leads off this episode with a story of customer service that I'm guessing many of you can relate to. I have been buying a hair care product from a company on a subscription basis. And I last about every six weeks, so it's just easy for me to not have to think about it. And I, one shows up every six weeks. And I happened to go on their website the other day, and lo and behold, that same product was 10% lower on their website. Not a promotion, which would still annoy me, but the product was 10% off. So needless to say, I had a conversation with customer service and requested not only to get the new pricing, but to have them recalibrate my prior pricing, which they were kind enough to do. But I have to admit, it put a little bad taste in my mouth, and certainly they lost a bit of profit. So in, in these economic times, though, companies are trying different things, I suspect. And Gary, I'm wondering if you would share, since you work with a lot of companies in your role, what you're seeing out there in response and, and what you advise. But maybe before you start that, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, what your role is, how you help. Sure. Thanks, Deborah. And I appreciate it. it opened with a very interesting conundrum that I think actually a lot of companies face. My experience, I've been in marketing and communications for, let's just call it over 20 years, maybe well over 20 years, mostly on the agency side, working in marketing and communications, and then on uh, the corporate side as well. And technology has been kind of a through line for me, but I've worked in healthcare, consumer packaged goods, all of that. So, and more than anything else, uh, let's just say I've lived through more than a couple of recessionary periods and had to help clients manage through those. What's really interesting about the experience that you had is that cosmetics, interestingly, often do better in a recession than some other products. And that is because many people consider them to be an affordable luxury, right? When they're cutting back on many other things, this is a relatively affordable At least way. I can try to look good. Exactly. A relatively affordable way to practice the self-care that you and I were just talking about. And so it's interesting that the, the company chose to discount. It's even more interesting that they didn't have a way or didn't choose to reach out to you as a pretty dedicated customer to you know make sure that they kept you, frankly. And, it was uh, annoying. And honestly, I'm not really sure I'm going to keep it because I can mm -hmm. get the product from other places, but the trust is a little bit broken. Yeah. And one of the things that a lot of experts recommend companies during recessionary periods or not is not to reserve the best deals for the newest customers, because it does just what you've described, which is to leave a bad taste in the mouths of the people who really should matter most to the company, which is the people who represent recurring revenue and recurring sales. Right. Have you had experiences or have you had clients where they were kind of pressuring or ready to go achieve a discount and you sort of talk them out of it that you can share, obviously without naming names? Sure. The kind of talking out of it that I've generally done is encourage them not to have a knee-jerk response. That is not to say 10% across the board, we're discounting everywhere. Because generally it can raise circumstances like the one you described, which is some of the most loyal customers feel ill-used, and it fails to lock down the core revenue that really you want to be able to count on during a downturn. Mm -hmm. You may not grow as fast, but at least if you can maintain a steady state, there's a real advantage to that. So 
I've encouraged the clients to look at a segmentation approach to the way they may discount, for example. So there's sort of the push and pull between growing revenue and maintaining or growing your profits. So it would seem that increasing pricing works against both. It certainly can. There's no question. The segmentation approach allows a company to customize their pricing to a given customer segment. It may be that there are, you know, that there's a very, very price sensitive segment at the low end. And instead of discounting, it may be offering smaller packaging so that the upfront investment by the customer is less, for example. I was going to say before you go on, you know, because that would annoy me as well. Like because customer John is price sensitive, he's getting the 10%. And because I just have a subscription and pay away like a fool, then I don't get the lower price. That would be really bothersome. Right. And I would not suggest that as an approach. I think the approach that I might suggest is that you offer a smaller package size to the person who doesn't want to shell out $25 for the item, but is happy to have some for 15. Whereas you as a recurring customer are going to continue to get what you always got for the price you always paid. I mean, switching really to really talking about business to business CEOs out there, Mm. uh, they're, you know, some are struggling. Certainly some businesses, as you mentioned, do well in tougher economic times, but a a lot of things are a little bit tougher. Getting capital, getting loans at prices you can afford. Supply has eased up, but still some issues. Staffing, you know, all these things are hitting them. Prices going up on everything. So the pressure to raise price, um, you can absolutely understand. Where I've seen it though, is where companies have waited a they just haven't had a pricing strategy and they've gone for a very long time without the analysis and then determining what and where, because what you're describing, you know, requires, it's a little bit sophisticated, but it's really also quite logical to think through, okay, which customers, what segments, why, and that requires maybe some, some product adjustments or bundling adjustments. Then you got to get the word to marketing. You got to get the word to sales and you got to get the website fixed. So if companies are trying to make a knee-jerk reaction now, how do they get all this done or where do they start? You raise an excellent point. And I think there are two places to start. One is, and this is going to sound simplistic, but but I've always been surprised by how often people can't answer the question. And the question is, do you really know your costs? Especially given the changes that you described, the upheaval that we've seen, the changes in supply chain, the inflationary pressure that everybody's under, do you really know your cost? Because it's very difficult to make any move with confidence without knowing what your costs truly are. I've seen companies where the emphasis was so much on maintaining the top line with little understanding of costs that the bottom line just fell through the floor. And that old adage, we lose a little on every sale, but we make it up in volume. Yes. It doesn't really work. doesn't really <laughs> so, work so well. Not yeah. so well. So knowing those costs and maybe using the opportunity, the pressure everybody feels today to mm-hmm. do the analysis that is never any fun to do, but is so important in understanding how to run the business. You know, maybe there's a, a new imperative to do that. So that that's sort of point one. Point two is really defining the value that the company offers to the customer and understanding what the value drivers are. It may be that- Now you're using using jargon, so value drivers- What matters to the customer? 
right? What attracted the customer to you in the first place? If you're a low cost airline, clearly cost is an intrinsic part of your value proposition to the customer. If you're a luxury brand, price probably isn't. Uh, there are a whole host of other things um, that are more important from a value perspective to the customer than the price they're paying. But a lot of companies don't understand or haven't recently analyzed what that value proposition looks like and what are the key drivers of perceived value on the part of the customer. If price is one of those things, and obviously that sort of emphasizes the need to deal with price, particularly in a recessionary period. If it doesn't, there may be a strategy that puts more emphasis on those things that turn out to be more important to the customer. Yeah. And it's sort of those things are already in-house. It's just figuring out, I mean, how would you advise someone to learn what is most important to the customer? Because I think that's a really big point. One of the best ways is to ask the customer or ask customers. And, and you can do that through, it's so easy today to use online customer panels to actually get underneath that question. Mm -hmm. So it can be done with a lot more speed and a lot less cost than used to be the case. And, you know, looking at the competitive landscape as well will help tell what some of the value drivers are. And, you know, relatively speaking, how is the competition doing? And if they're doing better than you are, why is that? And now it's time for a quick break. CEOs need help growing their companies, but don't always have the time or money to hire a full-time chief marketing officer, CMO, or chief sales officer, CSO, or both. Recruiting a quality full-time executive can take months not to mention the ongoing cost. In these challenging times, CEOs need battle-tested growth executives who can help companies successfully navigate the uncertain waters. Partner with chief outsider CMOs and CSOs who will function as strategic operators to build and execute your growth engines. And we're back with Deborah and Gary. You know, why are we seeing that? If they're taking share, how come? I think that's a really good point. And you also spoke about segmentation. So I assume that this would be looking at different segments of customers and determining perhaps different things are important to different ones. It's interesting because learning what customers are profitable or what groups of customers, I would say, are profitable versus which ones are not. Because over time, those nasty rebates can make their way in. When you're looking at a client are you typically doing an analysis or are you advising them to do some type of analysis to even just know, A, what are their different segments? Are they offering them what they want? And are these segments profitable or could they get them to a place of profitability? Well, or is this a good time to say goodbye? That I have done. You would fire a customer? Or suggest that they may be better served elsewhere. How about that? Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I was in public relations for a long time. Um, <laughs> in, particularly in service industries. I mentioned I worked on the agency side, uh, ran agencies and so forth. That question of customer profitability is one that is often in the back of people's minds, mm -hmm. seldom in the forefront of the analysis. But during a downturn, during a recessionary period, it is, again, a good opportunity. They say, don't waste a good crisis. I would say don't waste a good recession, right? And so in a period of constricting economy, it's very good practice to use that as a catalyst to look at some of the fundamentals, to understand what your costs are. And importantly, to your point, understanding which of your clients are actually your best clients from a profitability standpoint. And there may be some things that need to change. For example, time-based service businesses, uh, legal, accounting, uh, marketing and communications, 
it may be that there's a discovery that, you know, you've been over-servicing this client to such a great extent and writing off so much time that that client truly isn't profitable and may truly be better served elsewhere or at least more profitably served someplace else. Or so, it may be that some practices need to change to recover more of the investment that's being made in that client. So this is the diligence in the business that it, it is interesting as we go in to companies, large, medium, and small, we have some of the best and brightest operating and running and leading these companies. But when there's so much going on, if you think about the last three years, you know, just to like hang on in the tornado mm -hmm. uh, and make sure that you just keep every day operating the business, you can see how it would be time for a good come in and dust things and <laughs> get out the uh, robot vacuum cleaner and you know, <laughs> clean stuff up. I will share another story that relates to the product and services, as you mentioned earlier. Chief Outsiders did an analysis uh, for a business that had several services, and they had actually done a profitability analysis, but only to the category of the services. And within the categories were many different services. And so we suggested, and we actually ran a, a contribution margin or just a margin analysis mm -hmm. on each service and realized that one of the highest volume services, which also required, you know, it, it created the most revenue, but also used the most human resources because a technician was involved every time a, an order of volume was placed and created very little value, very little profit in the company. And once the company realized that, then they could make a different decision to look at another service line that had so much profit potential, but all the resources were consumed by this other service line. Right. I like to call that shopping in your own closet. You know, that's in-house. You don't have to create a new product or service. You don't even, you can make a, some bundling decisions, but it's just there for the analysis and the determination of, okay, now that I have this information, it tells me something, what do I want to do? Do I want to eliminate the service? Do I want to eliminate it except for customers or clients that, you know, I will lose if I don't keep it. It just gives an informed choice. And one could then literally raise profitability by simply making a decision like that. And the same is true, as you mentioned, for customers making different choices about, first of all, understanding what bucket are they in? Are they mm -hmm. unprofitable? And is there a strategy that can move them? Are they highly profitable? And who knows, maybe there would be even more within the pro highest profit customers. Have you ever seen anything like this where really the highest margin customers are actually a place you can get more margin? Often they are, actually, uh, in part because they have shown an attraction to the value that your company is providing. So in some respects, it's easier to sell a satisfied customer who's already seen value. Often, you know, we don't think that there's additional share of wallet that can be gained because, well, we'll just look at this customer. I mean, they're already buying so much from us. They may be happy to consolidate even more of their buying from you because they already see the value. It's a less risky proposition to buy that product or service from somebody who's already providing it in a really satisfactory way. Some big takeaways from this conversation, and I've enjoyed it very much with you, Gary. One, one is this idea, and we know that there are likely knee-jerk reactions going out there. If I think I'm going to lose a customer, or if I just need to 
try to save some money for the business to take care of my great customers, but there's a, an opportunity to actually do some analysis. And it doesn't sound like it's heavy analysis to understand profitability of my customers, my products, and to also really be thoughtful about my pricing strategy. And I think the third takeaway, and, and remind me if we've missed something here, the third takeaway is a big one as well. Never waste a good recession or shrinking economy, whatever you want to call it. And that is to really use the opportunity to do some due diligence that may have just slipped away a little bit, understandably, over the last two, three years. I think the fourth thing that I would add to this is that just as the business environment has changed, the clients and customers have changed, whether they're existing customers or prospects. Their needs have perhaps changed as well. Right, Gary, what comment would you make? No, I I totally agree. There's another adage that says, don't fight today's wars with yesterday's strategies. And I think understanding what pressures face a customer or a client today versus what they were facing two, three years ago is really important. And if you show that sort of empathy and understanding, um, that can engender a lot of loyalty. It really can. Uh, Let me throw a fifth thing, um, just a bonus time here. Excellent. People will often be asked by clients or customers in a recession, I need a discount. Okay. My, you know, I'm facing a lot of inflation. Uh, My sales have suffered. I need a discount to that. I would say, okay, but I would encourage people to give to get. That is, if you're going to give on something, get something in return. If you're going to offer a discount, get a multi-year commitment from that client or customer, get an increased commitment to sales volume. I think that's really important too, because inevitably we're going to get questions about, can you get me a discount? Times are tough. That's good messaging for sales uh, and for customer service, et cetera. So that was a well worth it for the bonus time there, Gary. Again, thank you. thanks so much. Words of wisdom and a lot of great energy and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. That sounds great. Thank you, Deborah. Take care. Be sure to subscribe in all your favorite podcast apps. Just look for Success Beneath the Surface. Chief Outsiders, part-time growth executives with full-time results.